4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. Andrew, Andrew, what are you doing? Oh, hey, Marn. Uh, so I'm playing through an alternate reality game, and there's a number station puzzle that we just can't solve. Uh-huh. Yeah, so I tried everything else, and I figured that the best way to solve it would be to get into its head and think like a number station. I've been saying numbers into microphones for hours. Okay, well, I, I think I have a better idea. What's that? You could just listen to the Argonauts podcast. Every two weeks, I could let you know the ins and outs of old args and give you a deep dive on how they were created. Uh, do you think we could like have a nuanced discussion about game-making philosophy and how cultures around games have changed as well? Yeah, and you can definitely continue to fail to solve old args along the way. Well, it sure would be cool if that was a podcast you could find to bung with a bunch of other great shows over on the Moonshot Network. You know, it sure would. <laughs> well, cool. Thanks for the invite. Uh, anyways, I'm going to get back to this, though. 23. 19. Okay. And welcome back to another episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're continuing The Blood of Olympus, the final book in the Heroes of Olympus saga. How are you doing today, Jane? I'm doing okay. You almost said House of Hades. How did you? I, I thought that I caught it like exactly <laughs> before I started the syllable. It was just an absolute, just a beat of pause. Where I was like, oh, she's she's so in the habit of saying House of Hades because you spent so many episodes on that. Yeah, <laughs> I was. I did almost and then you, say it. You overcorrected a little bit by saying, oh, it's the final book in the saga. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh you you know me you know me like a book, Jane, is the truth. This, of it. this is true. You're you're a very dear friend. Yeah. We're we've over the years we've grown to not just analyze Rick Riordan, but also each other. <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm doing all right. Uh, would would you believe that um, un- university marking in the middle of a, a lecture strike, kind of bad, kind of a terrible situation overall. Oh no. Kind of kind of a situation where maybe some people get their marks released early by mistake without them being moderated, and those marks are like significantly lower than what they usually are, and the fucking feedback looks like it was written in Chat GPT. Oh my god. <laughs> I can't prove that, but... That's not good. It's you not have good. To, like, appeal to a higher authority or kill someone or something. <laughs> Probably the first one. Probably. Uh, how are you, Jacqueline? Fuck. I am okay. I am... I, I, I'm feeling not so great. I... Uh, have a headache, some nausea. No. Uh, I it was like, do I have COVID? I don't. I don't. I checked. Are you sure you want to record? I'm fine. Listeners, Jane, <laughs> I'm fine. I'm here to record today. Uh, before I go on my long journey out of state, so that I can, you know, I can I can have a good old time with my good friend Jane, podcasting. <laughs> about the blood of Olympus. Do you understand? 
Yes, I do. I understand you completely. Although the way you said that made it sound like you were going out of state to record on Blood of Olympus with me. I am not doing that. Which is not what's happening. Specifically not doing that. I'm specifically not (laughs) going to be recording with you while I'm out of state. (laughs) Uh, I also dyed my hair. You did dye your hair. Your hair looks very nice. You look Thank like you. a you look like a mudkip, which normally would be an insult, but that's what you were going for. <laughs> I I'm swampert pilled. I uh, <laughs> I I I've been compared to the to the Harley Quinn at least once. Uh-huh. Comparisons that I've thought up in my own head to uh, you know sort of bat down my insecurities have been that I look like I was dipped in two different flavors of snow cone syrup uh, <laughs> I look like the toothpaste protagonist from the new Fire Emblem game uh, <laughs> I look like if Archie Andrews became an SJW um, <laughs> and you're, you're actually your fascist militia era uh huh oh god gotta I forgot we got show. that far yeah <laughs> um, but, I I think uh, your hair looks very nice, Jacqueline. Thank you, Jane. <laughs> I I'm I'm living a a freer lifestyle now. I I can do whatever the fuck I want with my appearance. It's true, include, including making it orange and blue. Uh, but what isn't orange and blue are these chapters. You know what? You know what your hair looks like. What? The fusion of the two favorite colored foods of two Rick Ryan protagonists. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, you're right. <laughs> Percy oh, loves his blue food and Trez Navare loves his orange food. We gotta that's a that's a big spoil that's a big plot detail from <laughs> the second but holy shit. I am so excited for fucking episode one hundred and after the pods. Same. You listeners, you have to tune in for that. Uh this book is insane. The but, first Tres Navari book, pretty good. This book, unhinged. Unhinged. The quality, <laughs> we'll, we'll speak to it during the episode, but note that it is unhinged. Uh-huh. Um, but the quality of this book, well, I guess I'll, we, we will also speak to that after your summaries. I think, I think that sounds good. Uh, chapter 12, Leo. We catch up with Leo and the rest of the Argo crew over breakfast. We get a bit of foreshadowing about some plans that Leo has for the Argo, as well as updates on his progress in terms of finding Calypso, which is not a lot at the minute, and also see that Jason, while still in bad condition, is at least stable. They discuss plans for subduing Nike, the goddess of victory, and eventually decide that to try and keep her ultra-competitive Greek and Roman aspects balanced, they'll send a team of four, two Romans, Frank and Hazel, and two Greeks, Leo and Percy. Chapter 13, Leo. The gang splits up around Olympic Valley to search for Nike. While Percy and Leo are paired off, Leo reflects on the resentment he feels towards him over his history with Calypso. Before that can boil over, they meet up with Hazel and Frank and do some more searching around, during which Leo once again confirms he's not into Hazel. Frank once again has a tourist brochure and is giving them the rundown on everything they find, while Leo grows increasingly paranoid that they're about to be attacked, especially since he's worried that he still hasn't paid his debt to Nemesis. There's no time to worry about that, however, as once the gang arrive at the Temple of Zeus, they finally run into Nike. Chapter 14, Leo. Negotiating with the Goddess of Victory goes poorly. She's obsessed with either her Greek or Roman side winning in the kind of split personality battle she's having with herself, so she doesn't really process any of the arguments the kids make about how, you know, Gaia is threatening the world and that might be the bigger threat right now. Instead, she declares that the kids must battle to the death, two-on-two, Greek versus Roman, and herds them into a ruined stadium with her minions, the Nikai. 
As she does this, she's blasting them with the same kind of aura that Ares exudes, and the demigods have to be careful not to turn on one another as they're compelled to be victorious over one another. The demigods hatch a plan to use Hazel's mist illusions to distract Nike long enough to subdue her before the goddess can catch up to them. Well, before the goddess catches up to them. Chapter 15, Leo. The plan goes off, as the demigods pretend to shoot at each other while picking off Nike's minions to isolate her and remove the shield on her health bar, all while the stadium fills with illusory traps and obstacles. During the fighting, Leo and Percy get temporarily stuck together, and while Leo is pissed off at Percy because of all their baggage, the stressful situation, and Nike's aura, he's taken aback when Percy, unprompted, apologises for how he treated Calypso, and promises to help Leo reunite with her. This is very annoying to Leo, who is busily building up Percy as a huge jerk in his head, and now realises he's actually a pretty decent guy. They eventually manage to knock Nike around enough for Leo to use his finishing move, an Archimedes Sphere which is programmed to be a tiny solar ray that blinds her long enough for him to trap her in one of Hephaestus' celestial bronze nets, capable of holding even the gods. They get ready to cart her back to the Argo with them, but first Nike hits them with a terrible prediction. One of the seven will die battling Gaia, which she understands because, as the goddess of victory, she knows what W's Gaia will take against them. Their only chance to avoid it is the Physician's Cure, which requires a poison in Pylos, a chained god's heart beating Sparta, and a curse in Delos, according to Nike, and the kids set off to find this. Chapter 16, Nico. After another shadow travel, Nico passes out and ends up in the Hypnos cabin in his dreams. He talks to Clovis, who agrees to pass on to the rest of the kids that Nico is on his way with the statue, and also shows him his memories of a war council from earlier that day. Clarice is arguing to go for a preemptive strike against the Romans before they finished assembling their forces, while Rachel and the other campers argue that it would be suicide and that they should wait for Annabeth to show up with the statue, especially because they want to minimize any fighting to make a peace settlement and alliance against Gaia easier. Before Nico can see any more, Coach Hedge wakes him up. Chapter 17, Nico. Hedge fills Nico in that they're in Evora, Portugal, and also directs Nico to get a ghost who has been stalking them to fuck off. Nico follows it to the Chapel of Bones, one of the headquarters of the Inquisition where 5,000 monks, including the body of the ghost he's following, are buried. Death is so strong here that Hades can manifest without his Roman aspect, and after dismissing the ghost, he fills in Nico and Gaia's hunter, Orion. Apparently, he's a giant who used to be a rebel against his mother, and he was tight with Artemis but they had a falling out in which he was killed. Now he's back, pissed off, and equipped with all the skills of a hunter of Artemis, and ready to kill all of them unless they can get Artemis and Apollo to step in and help. Nico also has a rare tender moment with his father, who seems to have actually been softened a little by having Nico around, even implying without judgement that he knows about Nico's sexuality. On that slightly bizarre note, he disappears into the night, and Nico hurries back to his friends. So, what did you think of these chapters? I think they prove... That Rick Riordan can still can still write a good chapter. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I, I was really wor- I was really worried after last week that like what if the blood of Olympus just sucks? Actually, uh, that was a but, bit of a concern. But, but no, I, I I like these. How about you? Uh, yeah, they're an improvement over last week. I don't know that I'm super hot on the Nike chapters. I don't think I enjoyed those as much. But the 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 Nico ones I think were pretty good. Nico ones were good. Uh, do you want to tell me about, I guess, what, what were your feelings on the Nike chapters then? I think I think one of my big problems with the Nike chapters is, like, it feels like it really undercuts, uh, like, how intimidating the Olympians are, which is kind of, 
that's been chipped away at a lot throughout the series just because we've gotten to know them and been around them a lot. But like, I compare them defeating Nike here to like, Percy fighting Ares and Lightning Thief. And this encounter is kind of a joke. A little bit. It's difficult, right? Nike is... Especially the minor gods, like the ones who aren't like, quote unquote, like the 12 Olympians or what have you. That's true. They're often sort of the the butts of jokes. We got Iris. Uh, Now we've got Nike. She was captured in a fucking net. (laughs) In one of Hephaestus' patented cuck nets, TM. Literally the return of the cuck net. I was not (laughs) expecting that. It's amazing. I... For the goddess of victory and competition, she isn't particularly intimidating. I think that mm. there are good aspects to this battle. Like, I think the sort of general set piece, like the big arena, them sort of creating these big traps was kind of cool. Uh, but she wasn't particularly impressive, I guess. It was it kind no. of felt like a... What was her name? Nyx. A little bit like Nyx, yeah. Or it kind of... It feels like... It feels a little weird that this is an encounter that we're, that's going to have, like, a lot of laughs in it, you know? Yeah, yeah, which I guess it's kind of strange because, in a way, I guess this is the power level we're working at now, right? Mm. But it's interesting that we've even gotten to that point, that, like, we're fighting gods, because that's <laughs> kind of just like out of the realm of possibility for like I mean certainly like the lightning thief, right? I mean he, Percy Jackson did very much fight a god and the lightning thief. Yeah, but... like but a, a a win for Percy in that situation was like injuring Ares enough that he backed the fuck off, not like actually defeating him. Yeah, and here they actually well they don't like kill Nike, but they do you know bag her. They bag her, gag her, and stick her in a stable. The gag her with one of Frank's socks. <laughs> a fate worse than death. And it's it's a fate worse than death, right? Uh, uh, it's haha, funny sneaky <laughs> sock. But to to like get this, I don't know. You're right that it's just like what is what is the threat at this point? Is it they can they do anything? I guess it's the power of teamwork and friendship and getting a participation trophy. I did. I actually I did I did enjoy the joke where um. Nike is constantly screaming about how much she hates participation trophies. It's kind of the Aries joke a little bit, but that was a bit uh, more subtextual than this, which is just sort of out and out like, you know, there's one winner, everyone else is a loser. I hate people who get participation trophies. And I get everyone, the feeling like, that, uh-huh. that Rick Ryden fucking draw, draws some of the inspiration for the gods from just, like, shitty people at his PTA. Of course! <laughs> right? Like, the gods are just bad types of parents. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a gold uh, mine, I guess. God, yeah. Uh, and I makes me wonder who fucking. I don't know. It makes me want to like imagine the gods as real people, like Backville. Mm-hmm. I have to also say, Leo's chapters are filled with more pop culture references than have ever been in any like book let alone set of four chapters someone bought rick ryden uh, a smartphone for christmas and he started using the internet yeah nico nico is talking about like a flame war on twitter he talks about a flame war on twitter there's more too there's a lot here i there's He's like, he says, he's like, I don't know how to talk to Percy because he just got back from Tartarus and I can't exactly just watch him if he caught the latest episode of Doctor Who. 
Yeah, Doctor Who. <laughs> I, I, I Unless that's know, a localization, many... which would be incredibly funny. <laughs> no, no. It, that, yeah, here it says fucking uh, 24. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's Doctor Who. Uh, it, also, I do like to imagine... Which Doctor do you think is Leo's favorite? Uh... Extend it Leo, to, like, just assume just assume that, like, all the Doctors that have existed, Leo could have known. I think Leo's favorite is probably the Tenth Doctor, because the Tenth Doctor is the one who is, like, always building doohickeys. Okay. He's always got a scrap-together, like, piece-of-shit gadget that where he's like, oh, yeah, this can detect aliens from 100 meters away, uh, and also boils eggs, even if they're still inside hens, which is why I've learned to go stay away from farms or something. Wait a second. Is Nico... Sorry. Is Leo just the 10th Doctor? <laughs> uh, you know? He's he's quirky, he's silly, but he has a lot of, like, trauma that he hides behind the jokes. Uh, he, he builds contraptions. He can, he can shoot fire out of his hands, which I guess the 10th Doctor did do a few times. <laughs> Fucking Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> I, the main thing that I like here is Leo's perspective. I do think that the the fight with Nike is lacking, but the things surrounding it are pretty good. Uh, I'm always happy I, to spend a few chapters with Nico. I'm fucked. I'm doing the now too. We keep saying Nico. It's it's two I, syllables end in an O, and the chapters are right fucking next to each other. It's really hard. <laughs> we need like a Philip. <laughs> Not gonna get confused between Leo and Philip. I I really want uh. To just like I, a whole like workplace comedy on the Argo too, because the picture we get of like Leo half stuck in the ceiling like a fucking weirdo, uh, <laughs> like working on shit while a like hologram of Coach Hedge runs around the place is screaming. Some... Put your clothes on. <laughs> uh huh. Leo's like it's about as good as the old one. <laughs> Which I, th- you know, I think I think Leo shares our opinions on Coach Hedge as a character, where he just like spits out random bullshit. I think so. I enjoy a lot of his perspective we get here. He's still, this is the first one we I think we've really gotten from his POV since Calypso. Is that right? I think so. It's been a minute. I think we got we got a couple of chapters from him like in the House of Hades, but I don't think those were very consequential. House of Hades was where the Calypso stuff happened. No, no, as in uh, in the the location, the House of Hades. I understand. I understand. It's 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 really hard when you name your book after a prominent location <laughs> in the series, which is fine. You know, it's normal to do. Uh, the Shining, named after the Shining Motel, uh, as featured in the, uh, the book. Percy loses so much blood of Olympus when he gets stabbed in this chapter. <laughs> Oh, it's true. That's actually true. Uh, I guess I guess it is blood of Olympus, which are like they all their bloods are of Olympus. If you want to be fucking weird about it, yeah, That's how about bloodlines? <laughs> yeah, this series would never be about bloodlines or anything. Christ, uh, but I like that. I like that we get to see his flavor of like pining. I guess for Calypso, which is being just kind of weird and shitty and jealous to Percy. Well, there's that. That part, you know, but I, I like the part where he is, like, imagining scenarios while looking at a charcoal drawing Hazel made. <laughs> and the scenario he's imagining is her saying, fuck off, I'm not into you. And it's cute, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, no, this this was how they flirted. Yeah. 
I, which, you know, various things to be said about depictions of flirting and the girls who are like, I don't like you, and not actually meaning they like you. But, you know, I think it was done well. Uh, and I, I, I really enjoy... I really enjoy that. I, I think the Percy and Leo stuff is pretty good too, actually. I do. I like this a lot because we've not seen a lot of interactions between these two. And I think this is like a really strong way to like quickly build up a bond between them. Yeah. Which is just per- Percy. Percy continues to be Percy. He's just like a cool dude who is really difficult to hate. <laughs> he basically directly addresses a lot of the shit we've said about him, right? Mm-hmm. Which is just, it's been being built up throughout the books. Where he's like, hey, you know, I, I, I should have done better. Uh, I was pretty busy. Uh, <laughs> the, you know, I still could have taken the time to check in. My bad, dude. Uh, and Leo's like... <laughs> Leo is like, man, I, I really had this whole image of him as like this whole like scary, horrifying guy. Which I, I still love to see that pop up even in the uh-huh. book. Um, but he's just, he's really just a cool guy. And yeah, Percy is just a cool guy. No, I, I, I relate to Leo completely in this, in this, uh, scene. Like, I've had this happen to me where I, like, I think I actually talked about this on the podcast, but it was a while ago where I got, like, kicked in the fucking head by someone while I was at a Taekwondo class and yeah, fucking yeah. laid out flat. And I, you know, I want to be mad at that person for kicking me in the fucking head, but they, like, came over and checked that I was okay and, like, helped me over to the side while I recovered. <laughs> it's, it's like, fuck you, stop being nice to me. I want to be spiteful. Yeah, it's hard to stay mad when someone is just, like, good. <laughs> and you can tell that they didn't, like, they're not just a shithead. Yeah. It's so annoying. It is fucking annoying. Uh, oh, and Leo also, like, bonds with Percy over, like... I guess we both have really stupid senses of humor. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, they they are... I like that there is kind of, like, we do still see the distinction between their senses of humor in this chapter, whereas, like, Leo is kind of making, a, like, he's like, making, like, stupid puns or pop culture references and stuff, and Percy is just being kind of an abrasive jackass. Uh-huh. <laughs> where, oh, where the fuck was it? He's... Uh... It's when they're talking to Nike and Percy says, uh, why don't you continue this conversation with yourself and we'll come back later with uh, some bigger weapons and possibly some sedatives. Yeah. It, the difference between their humor is that Percy is the one who will, who will go for like sarcasm uh, uh-huh. or like sort of a biting comment. And Leo's the one who will come into the room and be like, hey, look who it is. <laughs> it's the big guy. I'm being big and bombastic and silly. Uh, and I think that really speaks to like why they do humor, right? Mm, like, yeah, Leo has it as the as a defense mechanism in a way that Percy does not. Like Percy is just sort of like naturally kind of like that. He's developed that as sort of like the, you know, the 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 troubled kid who uh, he he's always quick with a joke, but he's not like defending himself from bullies. I, he's just like, uh huh. I wonder if that maybe is like it's it's kind of a different defensive mechanism for them both. Yeah. Whereas, like, Leo was talked about how, like, you know, he, he had to, to avoid being picked on, he had to be, like, the class clown, he had to entertain people. While with Percy, it's very much a, like, this is how he, like, in a situation where he can't physically do anything, hits back at, like, bullies. Yes, I think that's a great way to put it, right? And there is overlap there, of course, but I think yeah. that is what makes sort of their connection interesting. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Percy's gonna be so broken up when they become bros over this book and then Leo dies. 
Oh, you think you think Leo's gonna bite it? I I think Leo's gonna kick the bucket. <laughs> tell tell me more. Uh, I well, J Jason is already fucked up, and I feel like it would be too obvious for him to die when he's already been like injured this badly. Yeah. And like the one of them's got to die, and up till now we kind of thought that was gonna happen because of the prophecy, which is like storm or fire. One one of these two is gonna fucking die. Right. So yeah, I think I think probably probably Leo, unless I guess that maybe turns out to be Frank if he like sets fire to his his life wood or something. It could be true because like, we got it hard confirmed from fucking uh, what's it? What what's the Nike? Yeah. Uh, that one of the four of those people would die, right? Mm-hmm. So that was Frank, Hazel, Percy, and Leo. Yeah, Percy can't die because of brand recognition. I think it'd be kind of lame for Hazel to die again when her whole arc is, like, returning from the dead. Uh-huh. So I think, yeah, it's Leo or Frank. That's a, that's a strong case, I think, for a Leo, because <laughs> that it was all it was already implied that it would be either Jason or Leo. It's like one of those puzzles where you have to, like, find that one overlapping piece, you mm. know? And yeah. it seems like our good, bo- our good, good boy is in the targets. This is true, and Jace, Jason needs to live long enough to continue what I, I guess, is just like an eternal pissing contest with Percy. It's awesome because we see in the in the when they're having breakfast that they are still arguing about who would have won that fight in Kansas if Piper hadn't intervened. And they're doing it in such a funny, fun like they're doing it in such like a funny, amiable. They're just they're they both are, like. They're both. It's both written like, yeah, I might kill my bro Percy. Jason said amiably. Yeah, and I don't want to kill my bro Jason. Percy said am- amiably. It's and- it's it's such fucking guys being dudes. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, yeah. I I need them to just like tussle. You know what I mean? Just for fun. <laughs> I mean, I I think it'd be kind of unfair if it did that right now, but it would be kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> Percy would kick Jason's ass, presumably, <laughs> because he's, like, half dead. Uh, I... It seems like... Does it seem like uh, Leo still has, has it for uh, Hazel a little bit here? Yeah, a little bit, I think. Which I... is kind of weird. I guess it's, it's not weird, right? It's normal to have a to have some lingering feelings after you get over a crush. Yeah, I mean, I th- I th- the way he lays it out is that he's like, I don't, he doesn't really have a crush on Hazel, but he still appreciates that she's kind of pretty. Yeah. That's kind of the bottom line of it, which is yeah, fair enough. Right. There's a mo- there's a paragraph where he's like, you know, like I was, I was dazzled all over again by how cool she was. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like a true to life thing. You know what that I mean? Sense. Even if you're like over the feelings you have for someone, you can still be like, you know, you're awesome. You have a big horse. You have a big fucking horse. Keep swearing. Yeah. I, I'm i a fan of Arion. I, <laughs> I do, like, do a double take every time he shows up. I'm like, oh, you're still in this series? I forgot. Yeah, I think I think Hazel just, like, keeps him in her inventory. Uh-huh. She can just, like, deploy him. She'll have to keep him in her, in her inventory now that uh, the stables are taken up. This is true. We've just like stuffed Nike in there, I guess. Which I guess I guess makes sense because that's where they kept the Nike statue, also. Oh, that is true. Yeah, I just forgot about that. Just gets to live there now. That's funny. The, I think Nike, apart from like 
how sort of unsatisfying the conclusion of this fight was. I do like sort of the general showing of like their clever plan. And um, the intro, I think, is good. Like, her showing up and, ha- and like, Leo being like, put your fucking wings away, you're blinding us. <laughs> and her, it, and her like, obliging. It's, like, the yeah. only time she listens to them in the entire conversation, where she's like, oh, I guess you don't die with honor if you're, like, blinded by my awesome wings. Okay, one second. Uh-huh. So this is this is sort of comp- an adding a complicating element, which is that, like, it's saying that Gaia basically has, like, is doing, like, Palpatine shit, right? Uh-huh. Um, where it's not just like there's one big plan to start the fascism empire or whatever like there's a million different like there's count dooku but there's also anakin and the weights and there's like you know if this side wins then palpatine will win if the other side wins palpatine also wins yeah you got palpatine you got dooku you got fucking nah i forgot his name never mind fuck anakin skywalker jane i can't believe you forgot anakin skywalker's name <laughs> Jabo Hood, That's, that was it. Jabo Hood, of course. Everyone fuck everyone everyone knows Jabo Hood. <laughs> I think I'm related to that guy. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry I dead named you. <laughs> ah, very very uh oblique reference for anyone who isn't like five people. <laughs> uh but gaia has like we're learning here that gaia has like redundancies like there are so many layers to this plan like it's not just the giants but also that like she has apparently set nike out as the one who is like stirring up the competition it almost seems like this is like a significant factor to why the greeks and romans are do are like feuding yeah, yeah, the Nike thing seems to be a big thing. She's set up, like, defenses on both routes that the demigods could take. She's got giants, she's got the civil war going, she's apparently whispering in Octavian's ear, so yeah, she's she's spinning a lot of plates. I kind of wish we saw more of what that actually means. Yeah. Like, because we immediately get to see into a war room after, and we don't see them being, we don't see signs of them being like, but wait, aren't the Romans just people too? Like, why are we doing this fight? You know what I mean? I mean, like, we, I, I, we get that from uh, one person who continues yeah. to be the best character in this series, which is Clarice. Clarice, of course. voices what we've been saying for, like, two books now, which is, why the fuck would the statue make us stop fighting? They are uh-huh. outside and prepping to kill us. We should probably kill them first. Well, no, like, that's exactly what I'm saying. Nobody is, nobody is saying, like, let's stop fighting, which is uh-huh. what pr- presumably defeating Nike was supposed to do. No, I, I guess I guess what I'm saying is that it, Clarice, like you, is the only one figuring this in terms of the Romans being like people as opposed to like a bunch of game pieces on a board who get moved around by like a statue. Right, you're right. Yeah, I mean, she you say she sees them as people. Uh, <laughs> she does call them barbarians. I didn't like... say she saw them as people equal to her. <laughs> okay, okay, I see. It's... Uh... It, oh, I mean, man. it is it is pretty barbaric to team up with the CGI Dogman from the cover of uh, the British version of Red Pyramid. <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I can't <laughs> believe that we're just getting... Oh, there was a guy with a dog head. What if it is fucking set? It's like, a red guy if, with a dog head, it could be. It. I would love it if there was just some stupid bullshit about how the Romans had teamed up with the, with the Egyptian gods. <laughs> No, they, they haven't teamed up with anyone. Seth's just hanging out here because Kane Chronicles ended and he doesn't have anything else to do. I think he would. Like, he would, like, just see what's going on over there, right? He would, no, like... Nobody is 100% sure who let this guy in. 
That's really funny. I, I have a, <laughs> Set was a fun little character. Um, I wouldn't be mad if he showed up in this series. Uh-huh. He won't. It's just Doghead is common. Oh, you say that. Fun. I mean, the uh, Drew and whoever the fuck showed up in Kane Chronicles. I'm kind of surprised there hasn't been uh, a crossover. I, I, I guess I'm not surprised, given how poorly received Kane Chronicles was generally, but still. <laughs> I Have we looked into this? Was Kane Chronicles poorly received, or was that just us? I, I know that we didn't like it. Uh, whenever I dip my toe into the Camp Hoplet subreddit, I, I generally see people saying, why is this series so underrated, or people trashing it? <laughs> Uh-huh. I'm going to direct you to the people trashing it posts. Just just <laughs> link each post to the other. Let's create an internet loop. I mean, I can't get onto Reddit right now for obvious reasons, but <laughs> of course. I I wonder if they I wonder, I wonder if they privated or if they're Let's check. We can shame them if they didn't. Uh-huh. I I did I did do a quick mental calculus like which subreddits do I follow that decided not to? Uh, <laughs> do do r slash camp half-blood think they're too important no it looks like they don't yep okay, okay that's good however what isn't good is I don't like that uh, Percy uh, Leo's jealousy of Percy is kind of not really something that gets addressed by like their resolution here I think that's not good go, go into that more I guess what I mean is like Leo is very much like he's like fuck Percy for leaving uh, uh, Calypso behind. Also, I'm very jealous that Percy, this kind of big, strong, heroic guy, was kind of in the picture. Uh, and I'm kind of worried that he's going to try and pick things back up with Calypso at some point and that she'll go for him over me. And like, the, I, those feelings specifically of like kind of jealousy and possessiveness are not something that really get like like, it, Leo is not feeling them anymore because, you know, Percy was like, I'm not interested in Calypso anymore. Also, I'll help you get back to her. But, like, the, the I guess what I'm saying is, like, the root cause of that is not, like, something we're addressing yet, which I guess is maybe, like, something that could be part of a larger arc for him. But it felt very much like the book was saying, oh, that's okay. This is all, this is all done now. Brush his hands. Yeah, because this is all part of Leo's general self-confidence uh, mm-hmm. issue, right? Which still, it's not unaddressed by the In fact, it's quite consistently addressed, but it hasn't yet been resolved. Yeah, definitely. And they should do that now, right? At the start of the book is what I'm demanding. <laughs> I guess we kind of did that with Jason, right? I mean, we kind of did. <laughs> I guess we, we just need to get every single character in front of the in front of the us and judge that they have finished their character arc. Uh, hey, speaking of characters, Piper... Uh, it, I, I like Leo being like, Piper is fucking scary nowadays. <laughs> she she kills people. I had to stop being racist. Uh. Oh god. Hey, it it was it was the one time, but afterwards she really she she made me eat so many vegetables. <laughs> yeah, apparently apparently Piper's charm speak is just like straight up fucking mind control now, which is kind of I mean, terrifying. Guess, yeah, yeah, it is. Like. I guess that's always what it's been to an extent, right? Mm. But Leo it keeps talking about like how powerful it's gotten, how much of a threat she is. Like, I really, uh, I I want to see more of her in this final book. I want to see a big showing for Piper. Yeah, I big big Piper moments. Or alternatively, I think a cool way that this could go is like Piper's not actually that much more powerful than she is before, but like because Leo is so like unable to cope with magic and just like doesn't get it and doesn't understand it the fact that she charm speaked uh festus 
back to life is like freaking him the fuck out i mean that'd be another thing for the insecurity pile right yeah, you can do yeah. something with magic that i can't do with technology exactly something that i'm surprised didn't come up uh vis-a-vis leo and frank is i the whole time they kept building up like we need to make sure not to send pairs there who have like a competitive streak like <laughs> whoever had like competition between them uh like you know they they don't you know they don't send jason and percy because their their dads are warring all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. uh I was so sure this was going to become a thing where, like, Nike makes them fight over Hazel. And it's like, it feels like it's going that direction as well, because, like, even before Nike shows up, Leo, like, makes a comment in his internal monologue about, like, wanting to throw a grenade at Frank. Uh-huh. Or, like, and, and when Nike does show up, she's like, uh, Leo had to push down an urge to wrap his hands around Frank's neck. Well, he he said Frank and Hazel's next, I think. Ah, okay. No, cause, no, he specifically says Frank because he's like, which was stupid because my hands can't actually fit around his neck. It's too muscly. Oh, right, right, right. It's later on that he also starts to think, like, oh, I should kill Hazel, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it didn't go that direction, which I, I guess ultimately I'm glad for because I don't think that would be good. Yeah, I'm sick of the love triangle stuff, and I'm glad it's been dropped. But it did feel like what we were building to. Uh-huh. I Frank is such a delightful character. <laughs> I I love this consistent character trait that I didn't realize we've been getting, uh, but that we absolutely have been getting from like the last few books. That Frank is like, it's it reminds me of um, like the concept of like a character has to have some business in a scene, mm. right? Like in acting or whatever. Like you're on stage, you're you're on set. Like you have to have some business to do. Uh, Frank's business seems to be that whenever he is in a scene, he has to be looking for a brochure or pamphlet to read, or like just something <laughs> to read. He he must be a little tour guide. Yeah, because this happened uh, in these chapters, and this also happened when they got to uh, the island that Calypso used to live on. The oh. Island. I wonder if that's why Leo was like, he resisted the urge to throw a grenade at Frank's head, because the last time this happened, he was like, oh, we should fuck up Calypso, let's go and fight her. Maybe, yeah, <laughs> but I, there's something really endearing to me about giving characters these kinds of, like, repeated, uh, just, yeah. like, actions, I guess. It grounds them in, it grounds them in not just, like, their voice, but also, like, you can you can imagine Frank as a person. You know what I mean? He's he's been uh-huh. sort of fully fleshed out by these movements. And I like that. And it's also it's an advantage of like where with these characters over the course of five books, you can afford to like do subtle little characterization things like that. You can just like build them up over time until you finally notice. Definitely, yeah. Oh. Uh last thing from these chapters. Uh fuck off, Rick Ryden. Don't please do not give them a cop out for the someone dying thing. I have been, oh yeah. I have been denied blood in basically every single one of these fucking books. Kill one of these characters, <laughs> you coward. Oh, you're a, you're a bloodthirsty little bitch, aren't you? <laughs> we didn't even get some fucking randos killed in Son of Neptune. Come on. You're right. This has been a very deathless series for like the sort of grittier sequel. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you talking about the, the physician's cure? Yes. Or is it something else? Yeah, the, the, where they're like, oh, this is the only way we can get out of one of us definitely dying. And, no, I don't want that. No, yeah. 
It's more dramatic I, if one of you dies. It definitely is. Yeah, we get that in, like, a big list that Nike says of just, like, things that... we. This is the equivalent of, like, our encounter with, I think, Hecate in the last book. Mm. Um, where she just was like, alright, you have to go do this now. This is kind of Nike saying that to them. Uh, and just giving them, like, a quest log. Like, eventually you will meet the poison of Pylos, the chain god's heartbeat in Sparta, the curse of Delos. Like, it's it, it feels very video game. All I'm saying is that it would have been kind of cool if they, like, got this list, figured out, like, where they would have to go to get all of it, and then we're just like, fuck, we don't have time. Yeah. Like, there there is potentially could... a solution to this, but, like, if we want to save the world, we're just going to have to eat shit and one of us is going to die. Yeah. We're just going to have to play fucking Russian roulette. Could be something that happens. You never know, I guess. True. Because we, we kind of leave them there, like, 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 wondering what that all will mean for them. Speaking of death... Uh, I don't know what you mean, because I only read four chapters this week. <laughs> Just kidding, uh, I remember two in the last 30 minutes before recording. I felt so vindicated when that happened. It's not just me. It's not just you. You know, some people forget to read two chapters, some people forget to read uh, half of a book. I, I will have you know I'm two-thirds of the way through when it was two-step. <laughs> oh yeah, and where were you at the start of uh, yesterday? <laughs> 100 pages in, which is about a quarter. <laughs> Which I think speaks oh. to uh, my my big brain and fast reading speed. I'm imagining he was the meme of that guy who's like has his hand to his temple. Is like I can imagine anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's you. You have the you have the huge brain. It's it's true. Uh, Nico, we get we get Nico POV chapters for the very first time. I I was think I. It's so weird to me that this is the first time it's happened. He's such a major character. He's been running around in these books since fucking Battle of the Latin Titan's Curse, even. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we only started getting these different POVs in uh, the Lost Hero, but still, the fact that this is his first one pretty odd, especially since there was just a book called The House of Hades. Yeah, and uh, like he's been scuttling around in this series since Son of Neptune. So. I, I will admit, I was kind of disappointed at first when I started mm. reading these. Because his first chapter, I, I don't dislike this chapter at all, but it is just him having a dream of different things happening and being a vehicle for us to learn about the sort of the wider world. Yeah, no, basically none of none of the first chapter has anything to do with Nico as a character. <laughs> There's a little bit, which I, I, I like. Um, He's going through the torments, you know, he's going mm. through the suffering. He apparently every time he shadow travels, he has to like relive all the worst memories of his life or something. <laughs> Which I guess explains why um, Raina was like freaking out when she was like sharing her energy with him. Oh, like, definitely. It's specifically very painful for him to do that at that point. But the main thrust of this ends up being seeing into Camp Half Blood and seeing what they are doing on that side of the war because we got that with Octavian and sort of mm. the previous chapters. Uh, and I quite enjoyed this. Yeah, it's it's nice to see. It's nice to be back in Camp Half Blood. It's been so fucking long. We only ever get like intermittent gl- glimpses. It feels like. Yeah. It also feels good to just be reading a conversation by Clarice is right. Clarice is basically right, and I'm still not sure what the statue is supposed to do. Same. <laughs> like, you know, the the like you said, these are human beings, not like. I mean, they're characters in the book, but the, in the book, they're human beings, not like pawns who will be activated or deactivated when the statue appears. 
The argument that everyone is having is no, we gotta wait for the statue, and Clarice's argument is we should like do some guerrilla warfare to soften them up in case that doesn't happen. Yeah, and she is right. She's right. (laughs) They have landmines, they can just like go and put some outside Octavian's little house, put one on his throne, and see if you can make him hit the stratosphere. (laughs) Please, for the love of God, make him build him a fucking like Zelda stasis contraption. We are putting Octavian in the fucking contraption. Yeah, lock him into <laughs> lock him into a dialogue scene, uh, but beforehand, stasis a rock to be thrown at him, so that when you <laughs> click A and he reveals himself as a traitor, uh, it just launches right into him and knocks him into a mountain. <laughs> You've been playing a lot of Zelda. I have. I finally collected all the Korok seeds. God bless you. You're fucking insane. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, but I... I like that we get to have, like, a check-in on basically all the different cabins, including mm. ones that we haven't, like, seen much of yet. Uh, like, we get... we get, The return of Butch. Our who favorite we sort of character. The re- we sort of prophesied his return in the last episode. <laughs> the, mo- the most popular original character from Lost Hero has finally returned after much fan outcry. Isn't it so funny when there's a guy and he's like associated with rainbows, but he's like really buff and his name is Butch? <laughs> it's it's so funny, groundbreaking new comedy. Absolutely, I truly sometimes Rick Riordan is like on his like Stephen King bullshit by making characters like this. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I I like Butch, you know, but he's he, there's not much to him other than that joke. Yep. The main advocates for Anna's plan, though, interestingly enough, are the Stoll brother. Or no, sorry, not the Stoll brothers. Uh, one of them died, right? Yep. <laughs> uh, it's Connor Stoll, I believe. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Damn, that's sad. I forgot that one of the Stoll brothers died. Yeah, that sucks. Uh, Connor Stoll is like the big advocate for Annabeth's plan, and I, I. There's a lot that could probably be said there about, like, the relationship between Hermes' cabin and Annabeth. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I guess I, I, there, there is probably both a lot of bad blood there and also a lot of, like, kind of, I don't know, like, leftover affection, maybe. It's just like, you know, Luke, Luke was our leader and you were kind of close to him. Yeah, I imagine so, yeah. I, that's never gotten into, but the, the idea intrigues me. I have to follow yeah, that path. Yeah. Also, uh, Rachel really, really going to bat for Annabeth. Yeah, which I like to see. Rachel, Rachel's quirky. She's feminist. <laughs> she supports girls. She's not being very quirky in, in this book. In, in this series, even. She's only shown up a couple of times, and most of the time she's just being, like, mysterious, wise prophet. She really doesn't feel like the character from PGO at all. She did have her gamer cave. Uh, we, we, I don't think we've even seen the gamer cave. No, you're right. Yeah, because we recently went went back and read one of the chapters she, she was most prominent in, where mm-hmm. she was, like, um, doing street art and, like, just being fucking Jade Harley. <laughs> Go and listen to our episode of uh, of The Eldest Gods. And, and that's not really... She is just kind of serious now. By the way, a- another mention of Apollo something happening with uh his abilities this is definitely just build up for trials of Apollo still right <laughs> you might be right yeah because i th- my, my my very vague conception of that series is that it's about apollo being cast out of olympus basically 
So I, I, I want, think so. I wonder if it's just a case of like his powers are already gone. Maybe. We also get some tidbits on Artemis though, and mm-hmm. sort of uh, the situation with the mysterious hunter. It turns out that the hunter is Orion. I believe you said that in your summaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Orion. We are really getting the big names. I feel like, like Orion is a big name Greek mythological figure. Yeah, definitely. This feels like one of those things where this character is going to be like swayed back to the side of good. I I think there's there's two possibilities here. One is the lame option where he is swayed back to the side of good. The second option which I will go fucking feral if Rick Ryder doesn't take advantage of this, uh, is that, like, the, this, this whole arc does, ends in, like, some kind of constellation battle where, like, the, the constellation Orion has to fight with the constellation that Zoe became when she died. Oh my god. That's, like, that's right there. You can use that. It would that be so would easy. <laughs> that... That would be fucking awesome. <laughs> I'm like tearing up thinking about that. <laughs> I can imagine anything. I can, you truly can imagine anything, Jane. You are like a, the you are like the genius of the show. I have to say, <laughs> the true genius of the show is Rick Ryden, of course. Of course, my our our God King Rick Ryden, the <laughs> Anyone ever call him Uncle Ricky? I don't, <laughs> I don't like that. There, there's a different energy to Uncle Ricky than Uncle Rick. No. Uncle Rick like reads you a bedtime story when you're young, and like like you you can stay with him like when you're having trouble with your parents. Uh, Uncle Ricky uh, like teaches you how to shoot guns. Uh, Uncle Ricky uh, makes you shoot a wild animal and then doesn't warn you to not immediately pick it up so that you get like covered in fleas. To Christ. I think I have an Uncle Ricky, is this what I'm imagining. But I if you're an Uncle Ricky, you have to be like Southern is my conception. Like I Southern just, American. I just realized that the fucking shitty shitty older figure telling you to shoot uh, an animal thing that I came up with was fucking from Big Red Tequila. <laughs> I just you realized that's where realize? I pulled that from. <laughs> oh my god, that's funny. I'm Trace Navarre pilled right now. You are, yeah. Hey, uh, Jane, I have a question for you. Hit me. What do you think of women? Uh, women? Guess we'll find out, uh, what Rick Riordan thinks of women, partially. Uh, in, uh, this next book, uh, uh, episode 100, Next to the Pods. Oh, yeah, no, yep, yep. (laughs) I'm gonna, I'm gonna be generous and say that Rick Riordan had some interesting views on women. And I'm going to desperately hope that those are different now. But going away from that, uh, I guess going away from women is a theme of this. Uh, Fuck women. This is an anti-woman podcast. This is not an (laughs) anti-woman podcast. No, we're we're pivoting to doing alpha male podcasts. Horrifying. (laughs) God, this is going to go put in my few hours the misgendering minds. (laughs) That what is that is what work is for a lot of people. Uh, this is true. So Nico's second chapter is a lot better on the characterization front. Yeah, definitely. We get we get the best character trait someone can have, which is headbutting Coach Hedge. Uh huh. He, mostly he's angry. <laughs> he's he's mostly angry about the the homophobia that Cupid did to him. It really was just homophobia. <laughs> 
You really did just fucking forcibly out him in front of his friends. And I like, as much as I was, you know, as we were talking about, you know, that, you know, the, the varying conceptions of, like, the there is a pain to coming out a lot of the time uh, and how that sort of was represented by this external force. Uh, I, I do appreciate that Nico is just, like, dealing with letting himself be angry at that because as someone who has been outed before like it it makes you fucking angry it's a fucking horrible experience it's truly awful and i i i'm glad that rick ryan i guess is like cognizant of that yeah i get although one thing that i did pick up from this which i was maybe i guess not disappointed by because it's better for Nico the character as a person but I think was like an interesting thing we picked up on that doesn't seem like it's going to be capitalized on is that uh, Nico mentions here that he's like uh, Uh, sharing his secret crush hadn't been the worst of it eventually he might have done that in his own time in his own way and I wonder if that's maybe like dialing back a little bit on like the uh, kind of repression and self-loathing that we got we were picking up a lot of in House of Hades yeah. Like, it, it it makes Nico come across as a lot more self-accepting than we had kind of gotten the vibe of. I think there's some of that. It's hard to know. I think if we had gotten Nico POV chapters, it'd be easier easier to tell. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it kind of leaves room for th- th- this... If, if this is, like, going back on that a little bit, it leaves the room to do that. Because that was... There was a lot of external stuff there, right? Mm. That, was, that was sort of Jason's interpretations in a lot of manner. This is actually a character beat that I appreciate. Sometimes a character internally is a lot further ahead than you realize. This is true of people, too. You know, you can have sense. an external view of someone, and then internally they can be like, well, of course, I've thought about this a million times. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to have reached a place with it, even if it's not a place that I'm comfortable with. And I think that's sort of the vibe I'm getting with this. That makes too. sense, yeah. Um, I think the final thing I want to talk about in this episode is the big conversation with Hades. Uh, I I have been fucking vindicated. Uh huh. It took two and a bit years, thirteen books, and endless endless wrong predictions and thinking that I was never going to be right about this. Uh huh. But Hades kind of secretly being the best god finally happened. I've I've been with you. I've been with you. I agree. <laughs> Hey, this is something we've been, we were predicting in Lightning Thief and then got proved wrong about. It turns out he's the first one to figure out that you should just like be good to your kid. He's he's the first god who I think we've watched experience actual character development. Yeah, and that's <laughs> really interesting, right? Uh, like I assume that's something that Trials of Apollo, for instance, is going to be full of, right? Mm-hmm. Like by by manner of its existence. But it would be very funny if Apollo went through five books of trials and was still a huge shithead by the end of it. <laughs> that, I think that a character arc that's just the circle. <laughs> be kind of cool. Actually. That would be a, that would be a, a hard message. <laughs> like, hey, so the, the the gods are actually still bad. The gods suck. Kill them. This is a great conversation. I I adore. It's the dynamic that sells it for me, right? Mm. You completely get that these are two characters who have interacted a lot, just so much. Just it's always off screen. Yeah. And the, I think it's just the, the dynamic between them is so sharp and distinct, and they are both written in such a way that it almost feels like a different book series. <laughs> 
like there is a there is a mode of conversation and speaking uh, that is happening here that no other Percy Jackson character talks like. Leo is not in this scene making dipshit pop culture references, and Coach Hedge is not screaming about Chuck Norris. It is, it is just like two characters having a like pretty serious conversation with like a lot of implied and established backstory between them that they're kind of dipping into. Exactly. Yeah. I I real it makes me think of like a black sales conversation. <laughs> Especially because it's tangentially about someone's sexuality. <laughs> Maybe, but I, I guess just like it's like a really well well written TV show conversation mm-hmm. where they are like building off of each other's dialogue in a very specific way. When Nico says like like I can accept that maybe you're here for two reasons, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Hades like cuts back later. Like I, I can imagine that you did something for two reasons. That, that that's fucking good. Yeah, and that that is specifically the bit where Nico's like, no, I'm not doing all the all this stuff just because I'm into Percy. I'm also doing it because the world's in danger. And that is when Hades hits him with the like. He hits him with that, and it's 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 such a, it's a genuinely sweet moment because like yeah. again, it comes across as totally non-judgmental. It's just like, which is especially weird given that Hades fucking hates Percy. <laughs> Hades hates Percy, but it turns out maybe he loves his son. It, he maybe loves his kid. He lo- he. It's uh huh. And it also seems like maybe that part of that might be informed by like Hades seems to feel actual pain over losing Bianca. Like Hades like says to Nico, "Oh yeah, your sister." And then they both like stop and they like take a second to rearrange everything. And Nico's like. Yeah, no, Bianca's always hanging over our conversations like the sword of fucking Damocles. And then Hades, like, corrects himself to, I mean, Hazel. Like, it seems like this bothers both of them, and that might inform why he kind of is being is being more appreciative of Nico. It's surprising, I guess. Uh, maybe just because we just got the scenes with Nike, who is not a character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Hades just feels like a fucking human being. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I love this scene. I think it's one of the best, like, scenes we've gotten in the last few books. Yeah, definitely. I think that might be it for what I have to say today, though. I think so. The, yeah, the, the, these chapters range from, like, pretty mid to really good. So, you know, could be worse. It could be worse. Uh, how about not Sissat? Let's do uh, not Sissat. My, my nomination for this week is uh, Leo Valdez. Who? Leo Valdez? Leo who? Valdez? Lee what? What? Am I getting his name wrong? No, I'm just being silly. Okay. (laughs) Like, who who is this man you're talking about? You you fucking gaslit me into thinking I was getting his name wrong. (laughs) I was like, oh no, am I even saying it wrong? Am I saying Nico's surname by mistake? Oh no. (laughs) Nico Valdez, that's an interesting (laughs) ship. Uh, no, but uh, these chapters open with Leo uh, complaining that he doesn't want to come out of the ship's walls. He doesn't want to come out. He doesn't want to come out. During Pride Month. (laughs) (sighs) Who's your nomination? I believe in him. Uh, I am going to nominate... I mean, it's in the name. Our our favorite goddess, (laughs) Daiki. (laughs) 
You think she has the uh, the four minions for uh, more than just like herding demigods into stadiums? You think this is a polycule situation where they live in her wings? You think this is like a chainsaw man situation? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a bit that's been not so sad. That's been the podcast. Uh, you can find our intro and outro at Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony at OC Remix is where you can find that. Our cover art is by Vera at Insmith underscore in on Twitter. We're hosted by the Moonshot Podcast Network. Uh, you can find them at moonshotpods.com or go to fuckingpodcast.com. Uh, as has been announced on Twitter, uh, this month is Show Swap Month. Certain shows of the network will be swapping episodes. Will we be doing that? Only time can tell. Not only that, but you can find us at twitter.com slash unwisegirls or cohost.com slash unwisegirls or tumblr.com slash unwisegirls if you want. We remade the co-host, by the way. If you followed us already, you gotta you gotta refollow us on the new co-hosts. Uh, don't walk slash and wise girls. Please do. There, we've got links to our individual socials, our email, our Discord server, which you should join. It's not popping. <laughs> uh, and, and I mean, popping in the sense of quality, but not popping in the sense of activity. <laughs> <laughs> and also. Uh, we, you can support us by going and leaving a five-star rating and review on our podcast app of choice. You can tell a friend about us. Or you can support us monetarily by going to patreon.com slash unwisegirls, where for a dollar a month you can get the Discord role of Camp Counselor. For three dollars a month you can get the Discord role of the Friend of Bacchus, as well as all of our bonus content. Yep. Uh if you if you wanna hear uh episode one hundred of the bonus show where we do our big breakdown of Rick Riordan's detective novel, The Widower's Two Step, uh sign up at the three dollar tier or above and you'll be able to hear all of that. And for five dollars a month, you get the Discord role of Venus's Chosen, all of our bonus content, and a special thank you at the end of every episode. Speaking of which, this week we'd like to thank I Love Sammy's Greats, Danny, Tana, Bree, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode. See you next week, Camp Half Blood. See you next week, Camp Half Blood. Bye bye. Bye. Time. This is Champs in the Making, a Pokemon bracket podcast where we take every one of these creatures in the Pokemon video game franchise, put them in a bracket together and find out which one the best one is. Starmie gives me like organic, free range, gluten free, like fidget spinner energy. Swallow can swallow a tire hole in one gulp. Ladybug looks like it is ready to give you so many high fives with each of its little mitten hands. <laughs> I don't like Weird Ear's face. It's got a big testicle for a nose, for sure. I think Dido King's favorite beer is PBR. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Champs in the Making, a Moonshot Network podcast about Pokemon. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts or first at patreon.com slash moonshotnetwork.